Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome, welcome, <laughs> listeners, to the Batman. Oh, the Dark Knight Rises special. Ever. I thought it was going to be edited in afterwards, but there, there it was. So yes, welcome to the Veiled Critic Batman: The Dark Knight Rises special, where this week we'll be solely focused on Batman and the actors who played him, um, and finally the. The main review and a spoiler alert of the big release of the week, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, but James wants to say a few things before we get underway. Yeah, obviously we planned this big Batman special, um, and yeah, by the well, by the time people at home are listening to this podcast, they may know a few more details about the shooting that took place at the Denver Cinema at a screening of The Dark Knight Rises last night, we would just like to say that our thoughts are with the victims uh, and with their families at this time. Um, yeah, that's all we can really say at the moment. But yeah, it's it's our Batman special. Um, we've got a lot of Batman-related things to go through. Uh, and I think you've got a little quiz for us, haven't you, Steve? Well, I've got the the quote quiz that Jerry's leading 2-0 so far. Damn oh. him. <laughs> Which is, of course, Batman themed. And then I've got another question to follow it up, which isn't for any points, but it's just for fun. So the quote is, my father was a drinker and a fiend. Uh, what? Jerry, yeah. uh, oh, I forgot my name. <laughs> the, the Dark Knight. I actually knew that one. It, it's Dark Knight, Jerry. Oh, I The why so serious name. quote from the from the Joker. I'd like to. I'd like to. I'd like to think uh, James would have won that if he didn't forget his own name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was that was an elementary. That's why we need buzzers, Steve. I was, I was hitting something with a hat with my hand. Have you I was all have you, the table for future weeks? Have all three of you got something you can use as a buzzer? Oh, I'll find something. Don't you worry. <laughs> right, it's getting serious now. <laughs> I'm quite happy with the system as it is. I'm not going to lie. I seem to be quite well out of that. So, uh, no, we'll the thing is, though, Steve, you've got to remember whose buzz is whose. Yeah. If we buzz whatever it is. Yeah, I just no need to remember Jerry my name. Feeling it's going to be a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, if people can just remember their own name. They'll probably be all right. Uh, and then another supplementary question for the podcast before we get on to the good, the bad, and the ugly, where we all had two Batman films to watch this week. With Batman being the ultimate vigilante, have there ever been any instances in your lives where you have been a vigilante? Oh, um, aside from every night when I go out dressed as a bat and attack crime, no. Not really. <gasps> oh, Jerry, <laughs> don't tell us. It's all right, I have a symbol, it's okay. 
Oh, okay. No, no. I think I've just generally been a a, a victim. That's just me. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, didn't, it didn't hold the door open for a friend who was shoplifted once. That that go. That was me being. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I had to let him open his own door. How's that? You you are the friend that that shoplifter deserves but doesn't need, <laughs> <laughs> or something. <laughs> Well, I'll save the podcast and save our souls of a tale of my oh, own. Oh, thank God for that, Steve. <laughs> Picture the scene a few years ago now, a slightly younger, slimmer, and more athletic version of myself is returning from a night home or a night out at university, and I pop into a kebab shop, as I usually do. Doesn't sound like you at all, Steve, yeah. I get to the back of the queue, and it's taking some time, and there's two lads having an argument with the, the men who work in the kebab shop over some change. And their tone and their words become somewhat disgustingly racist. I'm in the queue. I'm waiting for my kebab. These two idiots are holding me up, quite frankly. And I'm not happy with their language. So no one else is saying anything in what is quite a sizable queue and quite a few people in there. So I step up to the plate and I start giving them a piece of my mind. They start mouthing back at me, but I won't leave it. So then they start ignoring me, continue their racist abuse to the two workers in the kebab shop. And then one of them decides to smash the window and leg it. But what he doesn't reckon on is me and the two people from the kebab shop giving chase. <laughs> nice. And we end up catching up with them, hidden in a darkened little corner in an alley some way, and they phone the police themselves because they think they're going to get a good hiding from us. And in the end, they pleaded guilty and got done for it. But I went back to the kebab shop the next week, and I thought, you know, a bit of spoils of being a vigilante. I'll get a free kebab. <laughs> nope, didn't even remember me. So, I mean... I didn't even get chips and cheese. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. I thought... I thought when I was when I was running after him, I thought this is free kebabs for life here. Yeah, no. oh, that's that's disgraceful. No. Don't, don't make out like that was your sole motivation, Steve. <laughs> yeah. It has to be a moral crusade. Yeah. It wasn't Ra- just the law of free kebabs. Yeah. Racism doesn't bother me. I just really wanted a free kebab. This yeah. <laughs> was in your more athletic days when you're going to kebab shops every week. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> And you were still able to give chase. That's quite incredible. I was drunk. Yeah, but I hadn't had the kebab then. I mean, I was really drunk, but, uh, you know, justice prevailed in the end. So I'd like to think I was part of that. And That's the, an origin story yeah, right there. The most, yeah, well done, Steve. Well I'm, done. I'm the most Batman-like one out of the lot of us, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Batman doesn't really go back to Gordon every week for a sort of handout. <laughs> uh, so right the good the bad and the ugly then James do you want to remind everyone what we did last week for this section yes um, so last week we, we came up with uh, we, we left the Nolan films alone because they're quite recent so um, we lined up all the theatrical Batman releases plus I think it was three of the animated releases as well and we randomly allocated them in a, an exciting live draw which was just like the FA Cup third round almost. Um, so, yeah, uh, we've each got two films to report back on, but most of us will have seen most of these films, so it should be quite a nice little chatty and probably quite a long section. So, yeah. <laughs> Who wants to kick us off then? Shall I go first as I've got the first film? 
Yeah, oh, yeah. and the best film. <laughs> Someone False. <laughs> False. <laughs> James isn't going to like this because he's even written an article about how much he loves it. Uh, my first one, the 1966 Batman, Adam West, Burt Ward, all that nonsense. Um, I, I hated it. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> I, I used to watch the series as a kid and I didn't know any better. <laughs> and now I've realised that this is everything that Batman shouldn't be. It's like the, literally the exact opposite of what I want from Batman and what I think the best interpretation of Batman is. So I just hated it. It's really camp. Uh, you can tell that it's going to be humorous from the start because, I mean, they start with like sort of semi-jokey dedications. Um, also, I had never realised that the Penguin is played by Mickey from, from the Rocky films. Mm, yeah. Which uh, shocked me as an adult. Um, but it was just uh, it was just rubbish. Really hammy, you know, Right from the start, like there was, I didn't get why there was stupid things. Like there was sign, everything had a sign, everything was labelled, you know, <laughs> like bat ladder. The bat ladder, which was a rope ladder, had a little bat ladder sign at the bottom, which was just totally unnecessary. And we could figure out that it was a fucking ladder. Um, there was like a, an instant costume change lever as they slid down the poles. Uh, there was all sorts of stupid stuff. There was the, my favourite bit was was the shark bit. With oh, the early scenes, where there's this, just this appalling rubber shark that doesn't look remotely real, and Adam West is just landing haymakers on it, and it's making this horrible rubbery sound, which James assures me was deliberate, but I'm yet to be convinced. Oh, my he didn't Lord, have a shark just, re- shark repellent spray. Yeah, uh, and, yeah, and, and the other oceanic repellent sprays. The yeah, yeah. To, to get this oceanic repellent spray, right? He just cuts to Robin pulling a horrified face, and then Robin just climbs down and hands it him by upside down. No one's flying this helicopter; it just fucking flies itself from now on. Batman's giving a rubber shark dicks, and then the shark explodes. It was just the most bizarre scene. But yeah, oh god, and there's like some real sanctimonious moralizing by Robin in it as well, which would be really not. Me. Oh yeah, yeah. And then yeah. that led that led to Batman coming out with the immortal line: "They maybe drinkers, Robin, but they're still like they actually crusade about drinkers and stuff." And then he's like, "Well, I still had to save them." There was a, a great bit where he's running around with this bomb, which is just ridiculous, holding this bomb above his head, and then he runs into this this bar, and these two fat women don't get out; they're just too busy eating, uh, which was just. Oh, it was just stupid. I love the fact that the, the the helicopter crashed onto a bed of foam rubber. <laughs> oh, oh, and the, the the end scene with the fight, the the it was funny, and you know everybody expected the sort of kapow, you know all that. The best thing about it was that Catwoman threw a cat at him, <laughs> like the crazy old lady on The Simpsons, you know, just like lobbed a cat at him, and he just caught it, and it's just the most tolerant, well trained cat. Ever and he's just completely absurd. Did you see Adam West fighting off baddies while holding um, yeah. out loud? I know she doesn't have to lob a live cat while he's trying to hop and jump. I mean, oh, I mean, kudos to the cat. The cat was one of the best actors in the whole thing. It just it calms anything really tolerant. Um, I just think no, and the, the the only other big criticism I had was Batman should never wear a science smock at the end when he's <laughs> separating these magical powders, which is ridiculous. Him and Robin wear fucking science smocks. It was just uh, it was it was horrible. Before um, before we go on, may, really, can I, can I present the case for the defence <laughs> just very quickly? 
I think it's genius. Um, uh, if it, as Adam West himself says on the commentary, which watching this film with the Adam West and Burt Ward commentary is one of the great joys of life, full stop. Um, he actually says that it is the theatre of the absurd. He gets into this really kind of like actor's um, mode about it. And I, what is great is you can, I can tell that Adam West loves this. And that's brilliant because this basically killed his career. He was never going to do anything seriously. After, he, he could never be taken seriously as an actor after this but he still loves it and it's just you're right it is it's camp as anything um but in in the time it came out there wasn't dark realistic superheroes so i think it's it's very much a product of its time um but i, I just my favorite bit is the bit where they're going through the clues about the four people and it could be oh any of them pretty fishy what happened to me on the ladder and then commissioner gordon went, you mean where there's a fish there could be a penguin and then robin goes but wait it happened at sea 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 for cap <laughs> hey, that was awful there was some awful puns oh also the bit where they're um do you know when he finds out it's cat and it just cut to adam west like staring off in the distance while this bloody music played in the background and it was like a minute long of just Adam West looking dreamily off into the distance and looking sad. It was just, ah. Uh... Did you not think the fact that... Go on, go on. I was just going to say, do you not think though the fact that you're laughing describing the, the scene? It's got to have some positive effect on you. You can't... I mean, you're laughing just talking about it. Surely it's, it's achieved what it's set out to. Yeah, but it's sort of derisive laughter, which I don't think is what it should be. Really, and like the, even like the very end bit, they rescued. I'm not spoiling it for anyone here. They, they rescued people because obviously it's a Batman film. And then at the end, they're all stood around, and he goes, "Well, we'll leave him conspicuously through the window." And they just walk across this room and open the window and climb out of it. So that's inconspicuous. I mean, it was just ah, it was. I, I, it's just. I can see what you mean about why you would like it as a comedy, but that isn't what I think Batman should be done like, and it isn't how I interpret it. I think it's a real misuse of the characters and the sort of thematic content of Batman to really waste its time with this kind of thing. Don't get me wrong, it's it's got its purpose, but not with these characters, if that makes sense. That's a fair point, because I think a lot of it was based on... It was poking fun a lot at the uh, the kind of original 1940s um, visual Batman, uh, because there were some... Uh, short film stroke TV type things, I think, at the end of the 40s. Um, and I, I know it was poking a lot of fun at that and it was trying to be self-referential. I would ju- I'll, ju- I'll just plug the website. If you go to failedcritics.com, uh, we've got a Batman Week um, section on there. And my, my full-length defence of Adam West as being the best Batman ever is available on that website for you to have a look at. The Batman Returns was your other film, Jerry. What did you make of that one? Well, I liked it a lot better than I liked the Adam West version, let's put it that way. Um, but did you like it? Yeah, I did <laughs> like it. I mean, I've, I remember them quite fondly from when I was younger as well, because they were sort of, you know, the go-to adaptations of Batman, really, in popular culture. And it's interesting, actually, because watching them again, I mean, I really like the sort of gothic feel of it and had that element of decay and the sort of pervasive darkness that there is and really you know you you look at the use of lighting in the film it, it's really good the way there's a lot of shadow it's really dark and it brings that gothic element to batman which which i really like and his vision of batman is very much in line and that that sort of the gotham that he has is very very nice to me 
that's the kind of aesthetic that I like. But um, some interesting stuff. I mean, I think most people have probably seen it. It's, it's definitely worth watching. Um, Keaton, I think, is is a very good Batman. He's not not the best, but he is he is pretty good at it. But the interesting thing is watching it back. I mean, DeVito is excellent in it. He really is great at, at that character and that sort of interpretation of Penguin. Um, the main thing that struck me was actually Selina Kyle, uh, which is Catwoman's alter ego for the un- uninitiated. She's usually a really strong character, you know, has like distinctly quite masculine uh, characteristics. You, she knows she knows what she wants, and she's very dominant, and confident in dealing with Bruce or, or Batman. And it was interesting in this film the portrayal of her, and you know, the choice by Burton and the writers to have her as really a nervous, sort of socially awkward, neurotic kind of uh, sort of PA, isn't she? And mm. she's usually a really strong character from the outset and it's, it was nice the way that they brought that and did a completely different thing with it um, and then that self-loathing and that anxiousness finally overcomes her and turns her into Catwoman which is like quite a nice touch really it's, it's a different interpretation of it and, and what you're looking for in, in Batman films really is not just to repeat what's been done in comics that was you know a nice way of doing it I thought which I, I noticed um, there was a lovely little She's usually, I mean, Selena Kyle in like year one and stuff she, in, in the comics, she's she's a prostitute, right? So um, there was a nice little reference that I picked up where she says, I'm a working girl at one point, which was a nice little sort of nod to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, she is a real, I think she's a, a bit of a scene stealer whenever she's in there. I mean, DeVito's great, but she is also great. It's not like there's one good villain and one sort of mediocre one. Um, you know, I really like little touches, like the costume looks homemade. It's not just totally sleek and cool and things like that. Um I don't know. I, this film, I really like it. It's, it captures the essence of Batman for me, that sort of ambiguity between what's considered a monster and what's considered acceptable. And, you know, the Penguin plays with that and sort of embodies that. And it's the really the thing at the heart of, of Batman is why is it acceptable for us that he goes around beating people up but not other people. And it's because of the rules and things like that. So that was a, a nice thing about it. And yeah, it's just a, it's a good film. It's not great. It's not up to the, the, the same standards as the Nolan films, but it's, it's a very good film in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's it's my favourite of that era because um, when I come on to mine, I'll talk about the the first Tim Burton Batman. But I, I do think Returns is the one where he he kind of found his feet properly. It's got a very good plot. Um, that that is it's it's a properly plotted, properly structured film. And you're right, there's it there's a trio of really good performances there. I do like Keaton as Batman. Um, I'll talk about that in a minute. But, yeah, I think Michelle Pfeiffer and Danny DeVito are both very, very good in that film. They really, really do fit that aesthetic as well. Um, yeah. I think Christopher Walken as well probably deserves a mention. Of course, he, Walken, yeah. Yeah. You know, underhand character, but he does it so well. And he's, he's, mm. he's quite devilish and sort of really yeah. mischievous in everything he does. And he really does do that character very well. But the, the three main performances, as you say, are really the standout part of the film for me. <clears throat> yeah. I think it's my favourite, like James actually, it's my favourite non-Nolan film, non-Nolan Batman film. I just think, like you said, it captures the, the sort of essence of Batman quite well. And it is the, the, the thing about how they've created Gotham City that basically makes the film really attractive to look at. Yeah, it's um, very yeah. sort of like Metropolis, you know, actually. Yeah. Like yeah. Well, yeah, it's very stylized. Um, Gotham, uh, Gotham City, which yeah, definitely you, you get the feeling that it is still. It's not. It's not just a set design, though. It feels alive, which is yeah, really, right. really important. Um, but the thing to note as well about that Batman film is, you know, the one thing they didn't really get right about Batman, in my opinion, is there's one point where he just 
pointlessly maims some people. It, you know, he's got the Batmobile and first flames out the back and just maims some criminals. Mm, yeah, he sets them really on fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, other than that, it, it's quite a good uh, adapt, uh, you know, adaptation of that Batman character, especially from that era, because, you know, with um, as you mentioned in your article, Jerry, with Frank Miller's Batman, where he sort of changed him into a, a darker, deeper character than, than perhaps he was before then. And they, they really get that, that darkness in both Batman and Batman Returns, I think. Yeah, I think that's why I like it, because that's sort of my favourite interpretation in comic book form. And I think Burton really stays quite true to that. And there is a lot of references and a lot of stuff that is really based on, heavily based on, on pre-existing stuff. But they do enough original things to really keep it interesting, which I think as well I'm going to talk about when we talk about the Nolan films. I think that's one of the things that he does really well. I think that's probably the best thing that he takes from Burton is that real reliance on the original source material, but then that ability to just cleverly shift a few things around and make it original enough to keep everyone entertained, you know, whether you're familiar with Batman or not. Yeah, I agree. There we go, unanimous liking for Batman Returns. That's uh, unusual. <laughs> it's going to be unusual out of a lot of the rest of the films we talk about. <laughs> well, I think we're going to unanimously hate a couple of them. Oh, and do you want to go next, then? Uh, yeah, okay, sure. Um, well, I'll start by... We've talked about two live-action films. I'll start with a, one of the... Uh, animated films I watched, which was Batman Mystery of the Batwoman, which was from 2003. I've got to be honest, I have seen it before, um, so straight away it takes away some of the mystery element of the film, which is what a lot of the film is um, hinged on. And it's not great anyway. <laughs> of the three animated films that we chose to watch, I think it was the, the least good of the three. It's not, it's not that it's a bad film, it's just the least good of the ones that we've chosen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't really have a, um, an action, much action to it. It's more about the detective Batman. Um, and it, it ca- again, like we talked about Batman Returns, and it captures that style of Gotham City. It is, I think it's the last feature film or animated feature that they made that was set in that 90s Batman cartoon world. So yeah. it's got that brilliant style to Gotham City with the design, and, and particularly in this film, the harbours, they just feel so, um, you know, brilliant in the way that they've designed it. It looks fantastic, it's, and it's great to have that style and see it again in, in one of these films. Um, but the plot that accompanies the style is really silly. It's really predictable. And I don't know, the, the film that, that came out 10 years before it, the big Batman animated film, which I know James has watched this week, Mask of the Phantasm, is about 10 times better than this in almost every respect, in the, in the style, in the, the humour that sort of subtly put, it makes its, its way through, through Mask of the Phantasm, Phantasm. This is slightly less subtle in that respect. Um, I mean, for example, you know, mystery of the Batwoman, there's female characters in it. Whenever there's a female character on screen, the music turns quite jazzy and it's sort of, you know, oh, isn't she really seductive? And you're like, well, this is a kid's cartoon. It doesn't really need to do that, <laughs> you know? Um, and also one thing I noticed that this time watching the film, which I didn't pick up on the first time, sorry, Bruce Wayne is actually on screen a lot more than Batman, um, which I don't remember happening too frequently during the cartoon series. 
So it's something I, I thought was quite quite interesting to note. And, and it, but you know, he's quite charming, Bruce Wayne in the film, and um, it does make the film quite light in tone, having him not scowling away at criminals in his uh, cape and cowl and stuff. But the, the main villain for the piece is Penguin, who um, they, they kind of used him quite well, but very unoriginally. Um, but one thing I did quite like about them using Penguin in it is stuff like everything is customised that he's got. So he's got a speedboat that looks like a penguin. And, you know, all of his, his umbrellas that shoot different darts and stuff. It's all, you know, quite humorous, I guess. And it is, it, overall, it's a decent kids' film. It's not a great film itself, but it's probably an ideal introduction for younger kids to the series. There's nothing very heavy in it. It is, like I say, very light and terrible. And it's got a few sort of humorous moments in it. Uh, I don't know if anyone else has seen it. I'm I've gonna assume that, no. Yeah. No, I've I've seen quite a few of the anime. That's one of the ones that I've never got around to seeing. Yeah. Come on, hit, hit us with your uh, loving review of your other one then. I'm I'm, I'm waiting <laughs> okay. for this one. Right, okay, okay. <laughs> one of the one of the things I wanted to do with Batman and Robin, which was suggested by Jerry last week, is to go into the, both of these films trying to look for the positives. So trying to look for the positives in Schumacher's 1997 film, Batman and Robin, was a very difficult task, shall we say. It's the first time I've seen it for a little while. Um, and so trying to draw the positives from what I thought was a terrible film uh, originally. It, after 30 minutes, I was thinking, actually, you know what? I kind of get what it's doing, though. It, isn't, it's a, well, it is a terrible film, it, but it knows it's a terrible film. It's trying to be terrible and for 30 minutes it's cheesy it's it's quite lame <laughs> but it's funny it's intentionally funny i don't mean to say like we're watching it and thinking i watched it with my wife and we're both watching it and thinking actually you know what we're, we're quite we're chuckling away at some of these things we're along with the film rather than at the film um and it does try to um, I think captures it draws a lot on that Batman from you know Adam West Batman 1966 film, but more than it does from the Tim Burton film from '89, which you would have thought being part of that series of films, it would draw quite a lot from that film. It doesn't really, only in looks, and even then that's very tenuous. But it draws a lot of the humour from it, and it, it's very camp, and the characters are quite terrible. I mean, Bane. What, the, what oh, God. Green, veiny, juice head, Bane. Yeah. Oh, God, the Bane yeah. in that. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. So he's terrible. But, you know, trying to... He, he died, like, just after the the film. I can't remember whether it was when the film, when the film completed or when it was released. So the oh. poor guy didn't even realise how bad it was, probably. Because was he a wrestler in real life? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Probably. I, I won't say any more legal things, but... The Bane costume is still... Designed around um, Mexican wrestlers and stuff. Yeah. But um, no, but yeah. So trying to find some positives. Okay, I'll try and keep to what I think are positives. It has a really good story to tell about Alfred and Bruce's relationship. Okay, mm-hmm. Mike Goff was Alfred. He gives a really good speech with real sort of emotion expressed during it, and it's very touching. And it's probably the only serious part of the film which is delivered in a really good way. The performance from, from Michael Goff is, as I say, is very good. The speech itself is quite touching. Um, 
so that's the, that's the first positive, and you, you're going to have to keep count because there aren't many of them. <laughs> the, other good, the other good performances in there, I think, is Schwarzenegger. Okay, now let me try and justify this. He is terrible. He's really, really crap, but it's intentional. I think he's intentionally hamming it up, trying to give out these, you know, he's got very terrible, awful dialogue to work with. Yeah, um, yeah. His liners and stuff, you know. But, Who made the dinosaurs extinct? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, ice to see and every kind yeah. of put. I think what they must have done with him is just figured out every single pun they could on the word ice and then tried to shoehorn it into the film somewhere. I, I genuinely think because they got Schwarzenegger in, they tried to make his stuff cheesy, you know, because of what he yeah. does in action films. I think that it was a deliberate thing because it was Schwarzenegger. Definitely. Because some peop- sometimes people will say an actor's done a really bad job in a film, but in this case, you look at it and you go, that's exactly what they wanted. You can't blame Schwarzenegger. He's doing exactly what Joel Schumacher wanted him to do. Now, yeah. as an audience, we then go, but it's horrible. <laughs> you, can't, you can't blame on. What I also found really interesting is when the time, because I watched it for the first time this week, having avoided it for so long, um, and I found it really interesting that Schwarzenegger's name is the first name on the credits as well. They clearly had, it was a massive issue for them to get Schwarzenegger. So he was above the person playing Batman, which was, it, that was odd in a way. And it kind of, um, it, it tilted the film slightly oddly, actually. The fact that they went, right, we've got Schwarzenegger. Well, we've got to do as much stupid stuff with him as possible. Mm, that's right. But, you know, like you say, he, he, what he's supposed to do, he does it. He, you know, mm-hmm. he, you can't criticise him for being arty, basically. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's what he's there for, and, and that's what he does. Um, I mean, it does get very exhausting towards the end. I mean, it starts off quite amusing at first, but eventually you do get very tired of it. But, yeah. yeah, I'm not criticising this before. I'm just trying to stay positive here. Yeah. Okay. The other thing that I thought was quite positive, um, at first, anyway, was I thought it was quite symbolic. A lot. Of, there's a lot of symbolic references. You know, there's there's stuff like all the statues throughout the, the film. They're all giant statues of men. Even the things in Gotham City, they're all big sort of Adonis statues and stuff. And I thought, what do they represent? Why are they there? What 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 exactly do they mean? So I had to look at some of the DVD extras, and apparently it means nothing. Schumacher just wanted the city to look bigger. So I was quite disappointed. <laughs> I was watching it going, hmm, I wonder what that's supposed to mean. What is this, what is this representing then? Yeah, nothing. So that was a bit disappointing. But I'm sure it's got some uh, unconscious meaning somewhere, yeah. perhaps. Um, or probably to do with something I thought which related to the costumes particularly the fact that the Batman costumes have nipples on them, which is absolutely redundant. They're not needed at all. But I thought perhaps it's kind of emasculating. You've got the, the juxtaposition of these giant statues, which represent man, and you've got these ba- basically naked Batman. Oh, bless you, Owen. You, you are really trying hard. I'm really trying. <laughs> but, you know, like, it probably means nothing. I don't think Schumacher intended for any deeper meaning of any of it. Um... Seriously, the closest Schumacher has ever got to like being aware of genders is having Kiefer Sutherland wear, have an earring in The Lost Boys. I mean, that's, like, <laughs> that's about his limit, isn't it, really? I think it yeah. must be. Um, but, you know, it's it's really hard to draw any positive. I'm, I really struggled beyond that. I, I got disappointed looking, up, looking it up afterwards and thinking all these things I thought of and actually they just mean nothing. They're just things I've looked too much into the bloody film about. Spent too much time doing all my research on this, so... 
no, but it's, I mean, it's hard to deny it's a terrible film. Uh, you know, the characters yeah. are fish. I, I get that the characters, I think Schumacher even said himself that the characters, they're invented in his film for 10 year old boys, not for 40 year old nerds. Yeah. So, you know, credit where credit's due. He knew he was making a terrible film. He didn't try to do anything that would bring in uh, a wider audience, I guess. And, you know, I watched it in the cinema when I was about nine or 10 years old. I went for my birthday. I kind of knew then it was a rubbish film. But I did get a, a kick out of seeing, you know, Batman and Robin on screen again and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. it's a one yeah, toy commercial, isn't it? Basically. It is, yeah, essentially. I mean, yeah. yeah, I remember having like the sort of tie in toys and stuff and like liking it as a kid. Mm. But then as soon as you realise the possibilities of Batman, that's it right. just becomes a complete waste of time, doesn't it? I mean, it's good if you've never seen Batman stuff before, probably, because it's like, oh, that character is good because the, the character of Batman is pretty much mm-hmm. in whatever film it is. Yeah. Apart from the bloody Adam West one, where it's nothing like the character of Batman, um, it's it's you know it's it's a character that draws you in and is interesting, and I think that's pretty much the only positive I can come out with is that there is still Batman and Robin in it. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, does anybody know anyone actually who likes this film? Not just us, because I think we all know that we all hate yeah. it. Does anyone have any acquaintances that have ever said they like this? Because I have never met anyone who no, likes this film. I've, 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 <laughs> like so it. many people have seen it. That's the weird thing. So it, it draws on that whole, the attraction of Batman, the big action film. Um, but you're right, I've never met anyone who has said, no, actually, I quite enjoyed that. Well, I think there's a bit of a fallacy about it. I think there are people who enjoy it as a bad film. You know, you know, mm. saying something so bad it's good yes yes yeah no, that, that, what, yeah that's a different group i think but yeah yeah <laughs> but not for me really i just found it really bad and wasn't uma thurman poor in it as well although i because yeah. i watched it with my wife and we were watching it and i said oh she badness and then she said has she ever been good in anything really and we did struggle to think of really good sure, uma thurman yeah Again, I think Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction, um, I, I think she was good at being cool in a Quentin Tarantino film. I don't think they're magnificent acting performances. And I thought, um, I really like Gattaca. I know she's in it, but I can't really remember her in it. And, um, yeah, and, and, but in this film, she was absolutely atrocious. Um, yeah, she looked <laughs> good, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only redeeming factor, isn't it? Basically. Yeah. I also had to look how old Alicia Silverstone was when it came out as well because I felt a bit guilty right at the beginning but no (laughs) she was older than she was in Clueless what what is with changing all the characters identities and stuff as well why why do they make Batgirl you know she's the niece of Alfred and she's Oxbridge educated but you know the fact she doesn't even pretend to try to be English. I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or tries to be intelligent in any way. Yeah, yeah exactly. When she got introduced, it was like, okay, she's the niece of the English butler. And, and she goes to this mythical Oxbridge Academy, um, which I liked as well. They, they could have literally, like, nothing stopping them going, oh, she went to Cambridge or she went to Oxford. But no, she goes to this myth- mythical Oxbridge. <laughs> but yeah, and then she just sounds like Cher from Clueless. <laughs> it's just like, oh, well, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was just... They, did, they just weren't trying, were they? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. But yeah, we could probably do another three hours on how bad it is, but... Yeah, so I did look for some positives. I thought I drew some out of the film that perhaps weren't intended. You did very well, Owen. Uh, I think I'll stop there because, like you say, we'll just go on berating it for for all night, really. 
Well, talking of rubbish Batman films, I had to suffer through Batman Forever. I don't think it's that bad. It, it's not as it, bad as it was. Batman. It is abysmal. <laughs> it is quite bad. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not joking. I mean, it's got Val Kilmer, Tommy Lee Jones, Jim Carrey, Nicole Kid- Kidman, and it still manages to be rubbish. Mm. I mean, I thought Tommy Lee Jones was quite good. As I thought. Face. I thought he was terrible. I'm basing <laughs> this on my on my childhood recollection. Yeah. <laughs> Watch it now. He's every actor in that film is overacting, and it's not doing the film any favors. They're all hamming it up, and it's making the film rubbish. Basically, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones massively bas- hamming it. This. <clears throat> yeah, basically, <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones is Harvey Dent slash Two Face. He ends up teaming up with the Riddler, played by Jim Carrey, who was who the Riddler's actual identity is Edward Nigma, who or Enigma, who worked for. Wayne Enterprises so, and then so got clever. and then hey, got hey, sacked. That's not some kind of Joel Schumacher thing. Let's not blame it. That was that was a Batman comic original. Yeah, and um, they end up, yeah, basically trying to defeat Gotham City and Batman on their own. Uh, and it's just yeah, like I said, everybody is hamming it up, and it's just it is so bad. I mean, Val Kilmer's not a good Batman. Jim Carrey, you would think, would be great in a role like the Riddler. Just some kind of maniacal bad guy who's a bit eccentric and over the top and mad, and he's not. And nah. and Tommy Lee Jones is rubbish. A uh, 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 basically a two faced slash Harvey Dent who's doing the same thing as the Riddler without the riddles. <laughs> in fact, the only the only good performance I found in it was from um, Chris O'Donnell, who was playing Dick Grayson or Robin. And and he he wasn't that good, but he was a, sort of the best performance out of a lot of them. A sort of basically, he's introduced as part of a a circus act, um, a family circus act. Who is the rest of his family's killed when Two Face and the Riddler try to put a bomb into the circus and blow it up. Um, and Batman sort of because he's only like a sort of like a teenager, seventeen, eighteen. Batman kind of takes him under his wing, um, and he becomes Robin. And he sort of puts in the only kind of decent performance in the film, other than Alfred, who's barely in it. Yeah, it's a shame Alfred's not in anymore. No, I think you're. I, I still Drew Barrymore looks great. It's got in a it. brilliant U two song. Hold <laughs> <laughs> me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me is the best Batman song ever. Well, there we go. Not no, it's not. Hans no. Zimmer's score is way better than that. Oh, no, I'm talking about theme song. I'm not talking well, about... We're not talking Nolan. Let's just let's just say... We don't need okay, a Nolan's well, on a pedestal. I mean, apparently... Oh, they Seal. Yeah, <laughs> Se- Se- Seal's <laughs> Kiss from a Rose won the 1996 MTV Movie Award for Best Song in a Movie, so... <laughs> I is mean, that also from Batman Forever? Yes, it yeah. is. Oh, well, that's a cracking soundtrack. <laughs> All right, so Smashing Pumpkins song was at uh, the oh, end. Is the beginning is the end. That's with Batman and Robin. I'm getting on iTunes and getting this down right now. That's, there you uh, go. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Better than the film, I think we can all agree. <laughs> yeah. And the other, the other film I had to watch was somewhat, well, unbelievably better, uh, a long way better, but still not brilliant. The animated Batman Under the Red Hood. Uh, Batman is. Kind of more well, he's mourning the death of the second Robin, Jason Todd, and a new villain comes in to Gotham City, known as the Red Hood, dishing out his own kind of brand of vigilante justice. And Batman, who teams up for part of the film with the first Robin, who's now Nightwing, 
and Dick Grayson, voiced by Neil Patrick Harris. Um, yeah, basically aided by him. Um, and I don't know how much I could say without giving spoilers away, because pretty much anything past that gives away a lot of the plot of the film. But it is quite good. It's quite, I haven't seen many of the Batman uh, animated ones. The ones I have seen have usually been pretty good. Uh, this one's got Jason Isaacs in it as well. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I watched it a couple of weeks back, um, based on a recommendation from Owen. And it, yeah, it's it's pretty. It's it's very sort of reliant on certain comic book slash graphic graphic novel stories, shall we say? Mm. Um, and I think if you weren't familiar with the character of uh, Rachel Gul or Razal Gul, as they insist on calling him in the Nolan films, which is one of my few annoyances with those films. Um, if you're familiar with that, it's a lot more predictable. But I don't know how familiar you are with all those, like the Jason Todd thing and all that, Steve. I don't know. I'm familiar with it. I don't, I've never read a Batman comic and I've only watched a couple of the animated films. So, I knew, but like, you know, I knew who Jason Todd was and Dick, I knew who all the characters were. I just didn't know that much about them and it was, you know, reason it was enjoyable. Um, like I say, I can't say too much about the story because kind of past what I've said, you do start giving away a lot of spoilers in it. I'm trying to remember, yeah. Owen, what, what's the comic where there is sort of a similar thing to that as well? Well, it kind of draws on three three different uh, comic stories. It's a death in the family, um, which is um, about where Jason Todd is killed. Yeah, that's which is an interesting story. I won't get too much into the comic, but basically that was voted for by fans of the comic, they voted to kill that Robin. Cruel bastards those kids were that read the comic. The other story about six on... votes as well, if I remember. Yeah, it was really narrow. Yeah. Um, the other um, comic it kind of draws on is a, um, a Lonely Place of Dying, which ties quite well into um, a, death, a death in the family. But it, it, I mean, it, it leaves out all the stuff from that comic, which is about Tim Drake. But I'm not going to get too much into what the comics are about. The other one it draws on is Under the Hood, which is a two-part story. Uh, it was released in two different trades. Um, so it kind of draws on those three. And as well, it's got Black Mask in it. So, you know, he's a great villain, I think. I think he's really um, used quite well in Under the Red Hood as well. Oh, James, okay, you'd, with... you'd best uh, round up this part with the two films you yeah, watched. Yeah, um... I also watched an animated Batman uh, for the first time uh, this week. Oh, I quite liked it. Uh, Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, basically, Batman wrongly implicated in a series of murders of mob bosses. Um, and it turns out there is a kind of another vigilante uh, offing mob bosses. Uh, one of his old flames is back on the scene. There's a lot of Bruce Wayne in this, actually. Um, it's also a bit part origin story. It, it does explore, uh, and either um, Owen or Jerry will be able to tell me where this comes from comic book-wise, but it does explore um, Bruce Wayne's first, uh, you know, goes of being Batman kind of thing. It's quite interesting. Um, and then the other part is kind of part very film noir detective story. And... Uh, I hate to say it because it sounds like I'm just, but it's part Scooby Doo as well at times. Um, especially the, the phantasm, um, the character that Batman is up against. Well, not necessarily up against, but is doing a job that Batman doesn't approve of. Um, 
really does feel like a Scooby-Doo baddie at times and kind of just floating with the smoke around them and stuff like that. Part of this is because simply that style of animation is forever linked to kind of Saturday mornings, um, Saturday morning television with me. And it did feel like an extended television episode of a Saturday morning cartoon I used to watch. But that said, I, I still enjoyed it. I wanted to watch it to the end. And it was like a really good quality one. Um, what I would say is it really, really comes alive. And I don't think I'm spoiling it too much because there has to be a kind of uh, iconic bad guy in these things. And it's the Joker in this one. Um, and as soon as the Joker gets introduced to this story, it just kicks up a gear. Uh, helped in part by a fantastic uh, voice acting performance from Mark Hamill uh, as the Joker. Absolutely loved him. I was enthralled whenever he was on screen. Uh, and I'd heard people talk about Mark Hamill's Joker, but I'd never experienced it before. I absolutely loved it. Um, so I think it was worth watching it almost purely for that. Like I say, I just found it quite difficult to immerse myself completely in the film simply because I, I just don't watch this style of animation anymore. And it, 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 it reminded me of my childhood. Uh, and it's not the film's fault. It's just that that's kind of what happened with me. I don't know what you guys think. Uh, yeah, Mark yeah, I, is my favourite Joker after after Ledger's interpretation. Yeah. But it, Hamill's interpretation is sort of more of a traditional lunatic, yeah, um, sort of real madman rather than a bit of a psychopath like ironically quite cartoonish yeah yeah it it works it really does work though yeah definitely it's um he's he's quite creepy he he still manages to be fantastic creepy yeah Yeah. i was surprised at the amount of blood as well there was quite a lot of blood it was it got quite creepy and quite graphic at times which surprised me but i like that that kind of that darkness underpins the whole of that cartoon not just the film but the mm. you know series that followed well, the two series that followed it actually yeah. were both quite dark and i think they that's how they separated themselves from the other the cartoons that were popular yeah. around at the time yeah, yeah. The, the city looked fantastic as well to be fair the opening credits like over the cityscapes and stuff, it did look really mm. good and it looked like it had high production values i, I think i'm just it just felt weird seeing Batman in an animated scenario, but I would go and I would, I'd like to see Under the Red Hood and I'd like to see a few more, which are the good ones. I, I don't think I could cope with watching a mediocre one. I'd, no, that well, would be too much for me. Justice League Doom, the film Justice League Doom is based on a comic called Tale of Babel, which is kind of about how Batman's, it's about Batman's relationship to the rest of the Justice League, about how okay. he's a normal human compared to these essentially gods you know yeah and it's it's kind of about i can't say too much about it without spoiling it for you you just have to watch it to see see how it unfolds with batman and and his place within the rest of the justice league oh, it's a great it's a great psychological examination of, of his character oh excellent Thank, thanks Owen. And that's um, all right <laughs> The other one I watched, which I haven't watched for ages, uh, was Tim Burton's original Batman from 1989. Uh, the first dark live-action Batman, basically. And we talked about Michael Keaton earlier. and uh, I think Michael Keaton does do a very good job of juggling two very different roles. And I do think it is the most diametrically opposed performance of Bruce Wayne and Batman out of all of them. He is very light, 
very playboy as uh, Bruce Wayne uh, and then goes quite dark for Batman. I I think Bale does it to an extent, but um, he almost felt like two completely different characters at the time, uh, which which I, I enjoyed. My main issue, actually, with Batman, and it's not an issue, it's just I remember thinking that Jack Nicholson's Joker was amazing when I was younger. And I watched it back and I was quite underwhelmed. Um, it, it just seems silly for silliness sake at times. Um, but then it, there isn't an edge to it almost. It's all, it, it's just pantomime. Um, and maybe it's because I have now since seen Heath Ledger. I've since uh, seen Mark Hamill do it. It's made me realize that actually, it felt at times Jack Nicholson was kind of phoning it in. Uh, and I think his best bits in the film were before he actually got disfigured and transformed into the, uh, into the Joker. Um, my other, my other issue with the film, which I didn't notice when I was younger, I, Burton at that point just couldn't really direct action. A lot of the action sequences aren't, he's, I don't think he's an action director. And yeah, as I think you could tell, in, in returns, he still hasn't resolved that yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. I, he's, he's improved, but there's certain moments in this film where the action really does feel kind of clunky. Um, bits just don't work. And there's some aesthetics he likes, which don't work in an action film and things like that. So it's, it's a bit of a mishmash. The story is, a, again, it, the story's a bit of a mishmash. There's not too much plot and things to it. Um, but I, what I th- you can't underestimate its its influence. I th- it was the first time that anyone had tried to do a film like this. It didn't. I didn't succeed entirely. Um, but you can see it's like you know we were talking about you know, Batman Returns. I think he got better, uh, and then there was, you know Dick Tracy came after this. You could see this film's influence on a film like Dick Tracy as well. That kind of timeless 1940s film noir look which is modern day but also everyone walks around like they're in the 40s as well it's it's quite interesting the other weird bit is um the prince soundtrack which just feels bizarre at times and i love prince uh and some of the music's great but there's this scene where the joker is uh, and his crew are doing some vandalism and kind of singing along to a prince song and it's just it's a very very bizarre scene that feels very very much out of place it drifts. I think the first 45 minutes to an hour is actually a good solid film. But after that, it does drift and it drags a little bit. It gets a bit sillier and sillier. And like I say, that there isn't a decent plot to hang this look on. There's a very, there's a certain style about this film, which is great. But I don't think there's a, a substance to hang that style on. And I think the film falls down there. Um, so yeah, weirdly, I wasn't expecting to, but I think Mask of the Phantasm was the, the film I preferred definitely out of the two of them. Oh, that's finally round up part <laughs> one. Yeah, we like Batman if you have yeah. guessed. Yeah. Of this podcast in part two, it's Triple Bill. So. Triple Bill. Last week, we all were assigned an actor who had previously played Batman, uh, or was currently playing Batman indeed, and asked to pick our three favourite films of theirs that wasn't a Batman film, which for some people was easier than others. I myself picked Christian Bale, and while picking the three films that I did, I've actually noticed I haven't seen him in that many films. 
and he's he doesn't seem to have been in that many films compared to some of the other actors that that well the other actors that you've I mean Jerry considering had, the status he has yeah, yeah he, Jer- Jerry had George Clooney who's been in loads of films. Where You'd be surprised it, yeah. that though, Clooney hasn't been in that many. I mean, you think about how long he was on ER. That took a lot of time out mm. as well of his schedule. So yeah, he, he's been. I thought he'd been in a lot more films than he has actually. Uh, but, he directs a lot. Yeah. For, yeah. For Christian Bale, I I went with The Prestige to start with, which he co-stars again with uh, Michael Caine and Hugh Jackman and Scarlett Johansson. Story of two magicians who start out as friends, but because Christian Bale's character. Um, probably is responsible for the death of um, Hugh Jackman's character's wife. They fall out and they spend the rest of the film constantly trying to get one over on each other or find out the secret to each other's tricks, uh, especially Hugh Jackman's character trying to find out the secret of the... It's either the teleporting man or the transporting man trick that Christian Bale's character performs. Well... We'll not go into that because that, yeah. yeah, that might get a bit spoilerish. Um, but it's right. but it's just it's a brilliant film that's really well written, got some really good performances, especially from Christian Bale, who seems to out Cockney Michael Caine in the film <laughs> with his accent. And it's yeah, just, he seems to rediscover his Englishness in yeah. that one, doesn't he? And it's just full of twists that a lot of the time you can't see coming, so it makes for a really sort of exciting and interesting storyline. And it's also got a cameo from David Bowie. Oh, yeah. That's Nikola Tesla. Yeah. yeah. I just love seeing him in a film. He's my cinematic guilty pleasure. Even if he is putting on a pretty dodgy Russian accent. Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's a very very typically Christopher Nolan film, isn't it? The Prestige. Um, Mm. Very intricately plotted, but at the same time, quite simple. Um, And it was a shame it really kind of there was a backlash against him after, uh, with the release of the prestige which i thought was quite unfair because he'd just done batman begins and then he did this because i think it is a great film i think it stands up it's just, yeah i agree i think it, i think he's excellent in as well i think you've, you've yeah, made a yeah. good choice yeah. it's it's an exciting film it, it's paced well as well it never really feels like it's dragging on no, for too long and no. um, the second film I picked, this is in no particular order, by the way, it's just, you know, for, was, was The Machinist, which it's just a really dark film. I mean, Christian Bell lost low. I mean, I'm sure most people have seen the pictures of him or seen the film himself, itself, where he's just sort of stick thin in it. He plays an insomniac who sort of doesn't really know what's going on. Um, it's just a really dark film, but again, really clever with some twists at the end as well. So, again, another film that I can't talk too much about because people might not have seen it and it'll ruin it for them, but well worth a watch. Yeah, I think that one's got more famous for his weight loss and then getting back up to Batman size than it has for what he actually does in the film. But he, he is good. I mean, I, The Machinist is a weird film in that I watched it and it was quite entertaining, but then afterwards I didn't really think too much about it. I can't I can't really explain it in it's just a sort of a relatively decent film without ever sticking in my memory. How how long was it incidentally between him being in the machine and having to get down to that really low weight and then doing um Batman begins? Because that's I, see, a, I seem to remember having about four months or something. Because that's a, that's a massive sort of 
transformation in a short yeah, space he of just, time. All he did was ate an apple, and that was it. And that's how he lost all the weight. He said he just ate an apple, and then he said it was excruciating trying to eat enough food to get back up to Batman Begins size. <laughs> and the I fact- imagine it is quite painful when you... Oh, I'd love to get fat for food. a roll, though. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> he got built for Batman Begins, but imagine just having to get fat for a role. That'd be awesome. Right, De Niro did it for Raging yeah. Bull. Yes. What a dedication that man <laughs> yeah. had. So, yeah, just eat those hamburgers. And the final film I went with was The Fighter, which I've only seen recently, and he plays the brother of the main character, uh, Mark Wahlberg's Mickey Ward, uh, who's sort of an upcoming boxer. And but he, but Christian Bale plays his older brother who previously had some success but is now addicted to crack and he's just sort of really down on his luck and he, he's just absolutely hopeless. Um, yeah, I mean, there's quite a few bo- you know, boxing films come out quite regularly and some of them just sort of quite formulaic and you know, I'm trying to repeat the kind of for- you know the formula of Rocky or Raging Bull or something like this. This was. Just a a really good film to watch. It was, you know, have any of you guys seen it? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because uh, it's based on true story, isn't it? And yeah. They're talking about. Um, I think in the next couple of years they're bringing out the, uh, the next chapter of uh Mickey Ward's life uh in another film. So that'll be quite interesting. Yeah, I think Warbo wants to do all the Arturo Gatti stuff like and yeah. explore that a bit more. Which is, I mean, I I. I'm a boxing fan and know about Mickey Ward anyway. So it was interesting in that regard in terms of how accurate they made it. I think he, he does do a really good job. He's very funny in it as well, isn't he, Bo? Uh, you don't see yeah. him be funny very often. And I think he is, he, he sells that really well. Well, he really captures that sort of the fact that he is such a tragic character because he can be funny, he can be really personal. And then he's just got such intense problems as well. Yeah. And that's sort of how his family and, and people like him and want to like him and, and at times he can be really likable and then he has this real you know it's no, it's no secret that he's got drug problems and, you know Dickie Eklund and, and that he really that I think the most impressive thing about his performance in that is the fact that he, he does both aspects of that perfectly mm-hmm. and you really sort of have conflicting emotions about that character but I'm amazed you didn't pick Terminator Salvation Steve I mean <laughs> wow big big omission there mm. uh James, did you not have Val Kilmer? I did. Val Kilmer, the star of the uh, <laughs> the Aww. atrocious Batman Forever, as you called it earlier. Um, it's quite interesting because he, he is Joel Schumacher's favourite ever Batman, according to Joel Schumacher. <laughs> um, yeah, he but didn't... he's not choosing from a great fucking ring. No, <laughs> exactly. But uh, he didn't do Batman and Robin because he had a commitment to the saint. And it did make me think... Wow, that's that's really lose lose, isn't it? You could have been in Batman or Robin or the Saints. That's, that's harsh. Um, so yeah, at first I'll be honest. I thought I'd drawn the short straw, uh, and I'd have to have his role in Top Secret, which I I love the film Top Secret, the uh, the Abrams and Zucker kind of spoof film from the eighties. Uh, but it, you know, it's not a particularly amazing acting performance from Kilmer in that. Uh, I thought I might have to have his uh, cameo as Elvis, uh, basically the mentor at the end of True Romance. But no, I've managed to get three great performances in three great films, so I'm really happy with that. First one I've got, quite an obvious one. It's one of my favourite films. It's Heat from 1995. He plays Chris, directed by Michael Mann. Um, He is remembered, basically, as being the the Pacino De Niro film where they both get together. 
uh, and sit down and have a coffee and have that scene in the coffee shop. Um, but it is a fantastically strong cast all the way through. And Val Kilmer is one of the, the big people in it. He plays uh, one of De Niro's gang. He's very quietly violent on screen. He's got a very rocky relationship with Ashley Judd, uh, plays a character called Charlene. And I really do think it takes talent to hold your own in a film where you're up against Pacino uh, and De Niro and people like that because, you know, Tom Sizemore is very good in it as well. Uh, John Voight's in it, brilliant in it. It's a great cast. And Val Kilmer's really, really good in it. And you do get drawn into his character despite the fact that he's an absolute bastard. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my first choice. Um, yeah, the best thing you can say about it really is that he still stands out even though it's a Pacino and De Niro. Exactly, and yeah. Um, and that's the first time I noticed him being a, a quality actor, actually. Did did uh, he come out in the same year as Batman Forever? Uh, Batman Forever, I think, was... Yeah, were they think, both 95? I think they are, aren't they? Yeah. That's wow. so weird, what, isn't it? What a mixed year. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really weird. Um, His agent must have been simultaneously furious and ecstatic. Yeah, exactly. God, yeah, no, that's that's hard thinking that. Yeah, no, I thought there was a year or two between them, but no, you're absolutely right there. Um, Yeah, and kind of after that, he went through a bit of career hell, I think. After The Saint, his career died, really. And he had a bit of a comeback in 2005 in the film Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Um, played a character called Gay Perry, uh, written and directed by Shane Black, who wrote the Lethal Weapon films and is now directing the, uh, is directing Iron Man 3. Um, he worked with Robert Downey Jr. on this film. It's a, a very self-referencing, uh, pulp, pulp detective story, murder mystery, uh, brings together a private investigator, a struggling actress and a thief masquerading as an actor in Hollywood. I really like these films about the dark underbelly of LA. Kind of films a bit like Get Shorty as well. Um older films like LA Confidential and stuff like that. I really like that that type of thing. Basically Robert Downey Jr. plays the thief in the film. Um does a brilliantly funny job. Uh some really good narration there which breaks the fourth wall talking to the audience and stuff like that. It's a very, very funny film. But all the scenes that he's in are stolen by Val Kilmer as Gay Perry, who is a private investigator in Hollywood, consults on films, TV shows, and then gets his hand dirt, hands dirty trying to protect producers from dead bodies and stuff like that. He's very subtle. He, he, he makes a big thing of the fact that he is gay, and there are some jokes about it, but he's not stereotypical. He's not camp. He's actually a very strong masculine leading kind of figure and it's really interesting it's one of the first openly gay characters to front an action thriller film ever uh, and it's still very very rare as well quite interestingly warner brothers wanted harrison ford for the role and were prepared to double the budget uh if they got harrison ford and he turned it down val kilmer took it it's a really really it's a it's a great funny film anyway and he's really really good now i don't know if anyone else has seen it nope no. I mean, Batman Forever is the only Val Kilmer film I've seen. Oh, I'd, I'd really recommend this. I think it's on TV sometimes. It's, a, it's about one hour forty, uh, but it's very funny. Um, if, if if you liked, if you like a good kind of action thriller, definitely watch it. I, I really like this. I only watched it for the first time this week because a few people told me I should watch it. Uh, a few people on Twitter actually, when I was asking for suggestions. Uh, in fact, at Dalius. Um, on Twitter told me it was his favourite film of the last decade and I can see why it's really, really cleverly written. Uh, 
And my final, uh, my final choice is, I think, Val Kilmer's greatest performance. Uh, it's a fantastic performance in the 1993 Western Tombstone, where he plays Doc Holliday. Great modern Western. It's about Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, the gunfighter, the OK Corral. This, to me, is his definitive role. He plays a drunken, kind of southern dandy, gambling man. He... He is the prototype Jack Sparrow in this. It's really interesting seeing this was out in 1993. He plays someone who is drunk, who is rude, but is also funny, charming, and still absolutely deadly with a gun, despite the fact that he's constantly in a state of drunkenness. He's suffering from tuberculosis in the film, uh, and you see his physical uh, his physical form just deteriorate over the course of the film as well. Uh, but he is funny, threatening and vulnerable all at the same time. It, it, it is just, to me, he is the ultimate flawed Western hero in that film. So that's my last choice. OK. Uh, Owen, Michael Keaton, wasn't it? It was Michael Keaton, yeah. Another one who I've only really seen a handful of films for, so I got some suggestions on, on Twitter this week as well. Um, but I'll quickly mention the two that I think everyone is sort of predicting they'll be mentioned. First one is, of course, Beetlejuice, which uh, he is brilliant in. So Tim Burton film, which I kind of said before, I think was one of two or three Tim Burton films I actually enjoyed watching, mostly because of Keaton's performance in it um, as the title character Beetlejuice. He's just very charismatic, um, very funny, I think, as well. He's a sort of darkly funny character. Um, carries off this sort of twisted humour really well. Um, but yeah, so I don't really want to talk too much about it because I'm sure most people, even if they haven't seen it, they know his, you know Keaton's reputation is from basically playing Batman and for the Beetlejuice. Uh, the second film that I went for as well, I think it's probably probably quite a popular one. Um, it, it's Toy Story Three. He plays <laughs> Ken. <laughs> uh, I was hoping it, you were going to say this. Yeah, yeah, that would have been on my list as well. I couldn't leave it out. He's he's brilliant in it. He's done a few. He's done. A, oh, I don't know if he's done a few um, Pixar films, but he did um, Cars as well, which I don't really remember him from at all, really. But Toy Story 3, yeah, Ken, he's fantastic as Ken. He's, um, again, he's just a very funny person. He's kind of, you, you kind of think of him as being slightly serious in some of his roles. Um, you know, he's, he gets nominated for, for awards for his acting and stuff. But he, he, he's actually a very funny guy, I think. You know, I've seen him in a few interviews and he's always come across quite well. Um, but the title, the, the character of Ken, he just gets all the best lines in Toy Story 3 for me. Yeah. And I think he's got great comic timing with them. Um, again, he's very sort of charismatic. And, again, just like Beetlejuice, but in a very different way. Um, but he's very... On, on that point, can, can we just mention the fact that they've announced Toy Story 4 a while back, and I think this is totally wrong. What? Have they? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's and still... Keaton's, like, signed up for it, I think. But they yeah. ended it in the perfect oh, way yeah, I possible. Know, I know, but the same way they sort of made Cars 2, which didn't need to be made, and they're remaking, they're making There's Finding Nemo 2 as well. Doesn't they? Yeah. It's a real worrying trend, just just to go a bit off topic, that Pixar seem to be giving into commercial interest that they I, know I will think... put bumps on seats rather than creative integrity. It's worrying that it looks like we're going to get one good film, one generic sequel, 
kind of one-on-one off from them possibly over the next yeah. few years. They seem to be making the sort of DreamWorks Shrek mistake that we were talking yeah. about. Too long it, just, it just seems a shame that they they look like they're going to sell out because that was a that was a perfect way to end the trilogy. Yeah, and yeah. and I don't know how they could possibly come back and make one as good. Yeah. I'm an idiot. Yeah, I'm upset yeah. to me as well, Steve. <laughs> Well, maybe they'll bring Ken back and it'll be alright. You know. <laughs> I think I think he has sort of signed up to do Ken in the new one. So, okay. I mean, he's got nothing. Just... He's got nothing else oh. on, has he? No, I, mean, <laughs> I don't think I don't think he really does much these days, does he? I mean, uh, I mean, how how um, how are compared to actually real acting? How hard is voice acting? I think it's probably a lot less time intensive, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you probably go in for a couple. You of literally days. can phone it in. <laughs> but I think it must be quite tough because you're not always there with the person you're acting against. So it, yeah, you know, a lot it, of it's a very different a skill, isn't own. it? Yeah. yeah, which Mark Hamill, for instance, has perfected over Absolutely. the years, and, and he's and, doing loads of voice work now. Yeah, Kevin Conroy, who plays Batman, is my favourite Batman actually from the animated films. Ooh. He's a little factoid. Uh, I hate that word. What I'm going to say it again? Factoid is uh, he's the first. Character, the first actor to play Batman and play both Bruce Wayne and Batman with different voices. Ah, with some different voice. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, going off topic. And your fu- yeah, the, the the next film of Michael Keaton's is it Herbie fully loaded? It's not Herbie fully loaded. I'm afraid. Sorry to disappoint you, Steve. Is it White Noise? Uh, oh, I did watch that. I watched it this week. I don't think. Why? Why did you do that? Oh God. <laughs> I paid money to see that at the cinema. Never have I been so disappointed with the film. It was supposed to have quite a good trailer, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it looked good on the trailer. So we were like, right, go along and see that. Oh, God. <laughs> no, I watched it on TV. We'll, we'll not talk about that one. No, but, uh, you know, I don't think it's too bad in it. It's a terrible film, but that's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about one which was recommended to me by Twitter, uh, which was Pacific Heights, which he plays the tenant from hell. Um where he's um, very two-faced, he's very charming towards the, the police who are around. And then the first, when he first appears on screen, he's, he's you know, very flashy. He pulls up in a, an expensive car, just pulls out loads of money from his wallet, says, oh, we'll just wire you six months' rent in advance. And, you know, you kind of get the hint from then that actually he's a bit of a psycho because he's uh, obviously playing someone who's too good to be true. And it turns out he is. He is a bit of a nutter, shall we say. Uh, and he puts in a very, very good performance. Again, I've used this word, I think, for every review I've done so far, but he, he plays a very good, dark character. It's, it's very, you know, it's very intelligent character as well. Um, and it, it, but he portrays him really well. It's, it's one of the best things about it. He's not on screen a whole lot of time, I don't think. You know, he's on there for maybe 20 to 30 minutes in total. Uh, it's definitely features quite heavily in the last 20 minutes of the film. And it's probably that last 20 minutes where he really shows off how good an actor he is, Keaton. Um, playing this psychopath, and he's just so unnerving to watch, and he makes the film very tense. Um, the plot, I think, is kind of average, but it's, it's lifted by his performance into something that's actually quite a good film. Um, I'm not sure I'd go out of my way to watch the film again, it was quite nice to watch it once, and now I can say, actually, yeah, there were three definitely 
get well four if you can back handfield. Definitely, definitely good performances from Keaton that I've seen. Um, it, it's definitely in that bracket. Now he's like I say, very good in it. Best thing about the film. Well, Jerry is going to round us off with George Clooney. Yeah, I would just One like of... to congratulate Steve on uh, keeping us all to three choices and in order and not confusing us this week. <laughs> you've, done, you've done well. Uh, I'll be brief because Sounds I'm not that big a fan of, really, of George Clooney. I don't, I don't really like him that much. He's all right, but I think he just he seems to play himself in a lot of films. I think he's very, he's very good at doing that smug. I am very handsome and good looking. And rich and popular. Well, when you when, when you are so handsome, rich and <laughs> well, no, I just I yeah. just think he's very one-dimensional. In a lot a, of films. He the, gets typecast. There's a few of us that have the, that problem, Jerry. And I mean, it's a curse <laughs> more than anything. Every time you go in a kebab shop, Steve, I mean, the, the women are just falling over you. Well, they're falling over. They don't know about whether they're falling over you. Oh. Uh, but I, I think a lot of his problem is that he is typecast because. That's what you associate him with, and he's you know he's got a lot of fame outside of his movies for yeah. being good looking. So I think he does he does suffer from that a little bit. But um, the first one, I'll I'll do him in sort of chronological order. Dust till dawn, obviously. Yeah, I don't think anybody's really going to argue with that. It's a it's a really good film, really enjoyable, and he's pretty good in it. So. I don't really have to say any more than that because I don't really want to. He's podcast as well, actually. He plays you know, a criminal. Yeah. He's got tattoos. He, he, he uglies himself up a little bit for it as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think it's interesting that early on in, the, in his career he did things like that and then slowly moved into things like Ocean's Eleven where he is just sort of repeating that character. Anyway, we'll move on from that because that one was the, the, the sort of uncontroversial standard answer. Second one, um, a lot of people don't like this film for some reason, but I actually really like it. Burn After Reading. Um, I think he's actually really good in this. I think, again, he's playing that sort of smug, good-looking character, but he does it in a way that sort of takes the piss out of himself a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it's a Coen Brothers film, so obviously I think it has that going for it as well, and the fact that it has Frances McDormand in drew me in straight away because she just disappeared after Fargo, and I was quite... Yeah. quite impressed that she was working with him again but I think it gets a lot of stick from, from people this one but I really like it and I think he does really well in it I think he, he, he plays that character and he takes it to a bit of an extreme and sort of pokes fun at that kind of person and that kind of typecasting and I think that's a very conscious thing from the Coen brothers and from him um, but he's just he's a good character in it really and I think he just he does that well so yeah I don't know if anybody else has seen Burn After Reading by the way I have, yes. but I can't remember too much about it. I thought it was, um, I thought it was a, a decent. Co- it's not Coen Brothers' best, but it was a good caper type thing. And um, I quite like Brad Pitt in that one as well. Actually, I thought he, yeah. he played dumb very well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's they are sort of cartoonish performances. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like Pitt's character, Clue's character, but I think for what they are, they do them very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and the final one. Well, I avoided some of the more obvious ones and went for a very recent one, which I bloody love. Fantastic Mr. Fox, Wes Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favourite, well, probably my favourite book as a child. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, when this was being made and announced and things, I was petrified because I love the Roald Dahl original. And yeah. I thought, oh my God, this is going to be a horrible American, horribly Americanized remake of it. 
and it filled me with dread, to be perfectly honest with you. But when I saw it, it was actually a really, really pleasant surprise. It was um, really funny, but they managed to make it funny in a different way to the original, if you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, they went just, yeah it, it, it still um, respected the original, but it did say, do you know what, the original's like a 90-page kid's book that you, we couldn't make a 90-minute a film out of it. You, know, you, you couldn't. There's not enough there, so they they had to they had to do new things. But I think it was very respectful. One thing I really um, found funny this week when I watched Batman and Robin, and there's a bit where Bruce Wayne, George Clooney as Bruce Wayne, is making a speech. Um, I wasn't looking at the screen at that point. I, thought, I was writing down some notes, and all of a sudden, I thought I was watching Fantastic Mr. Fox again because I've watched it loads with my daughter. And at one point he says something like, someone once told me, and I thought, oh, he's making a toast, amazing. <laughs> and, it really, and I thought he was going to say, um, some people say uh, foxes are allergic to linoleum, but put your paws on it type of thing. It was just, yeah, that, and so, yeah, I love that choice there, Jerry, because he is Mr. Fox to me now. I love him. Yeah, I mean, he, he's helped a lot by the, the script on that film. It's yeah. absolutely fantastic. I think that was one of the best scripts that's been written in in the last 10 years really is just to take that source material and stay faithful to it and respect it but also make it really funny in a totally different way and really create really strong characters that aren't necessarily the same as the original i think it's one of the best adapted screenplays that's that's been done recently um didn't seem to get enough love at the time though um, I think probably a lot of people shared my fears about it. I think put that put yeah, them off. and also I think a lot of people are expecting a kids' film, and it's not a kid. There's a lot of adult humour in yeah, there. It's, it's really I think I think some I think seven, eight, nine year olds would probably be quite bored by it. To be honest, some of them, not all yeah. of them. I'd like to I think mean, I would have liked it at that age, but I think adults can appreciate it as well, just because the the voice cast is fantastic in that yeah. film. You know, you've got like Bill Murray, Willem Dafoe. Um, Got Meryl Meryl Street, Street. Yeah. Jason Schwartzman's pretty good in it. Um, Jarvis Cocker, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, Owen Wilson. Uh, I think doesn't Wes Anderson play someone as well? On like he does he plays um, the weasel, uh, the the realtor near the beginning? Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not going to lie. My favourite character is William Willem Dafoe's rat. He is just yeah. fantastic. But Clooney is he? As I say, he is typecast in that kind of role, but he he takes it to a completely different level in this one. Yeah, and he's just fantastic. I mean, if you haven't seen Fantastic Mr. Fox, by the way, whether you've got kids or not, go and watch it. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's really funny, and actually, just as a comedy, in respect to the fact that it's a kids' film, it's really yeah. funny. It, it's it, a really good comedy film. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant lines in it. Just the odd line and things like that. Now, well, we meant. I meant it was one of my top uh, novel adaptations when we did that for Triple Bill quite recently. So we've talked about it before, but no, I can't rave about that film enough. I watched yeah. it for the first time this week, and um, I was a little taken aback at first when they, all the animals, you know, say in this English countryside, start talk, talking in American <laughs> accents. It kind of threw me a little bit, but yeah, Clooney, it, you know, you quickly grow to love his performance. He's a yeah, good choice, I think. That's a good choice. He was great in it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, seriously, can't recommend that one enough. That's if you take anything away from this podcast that isn't Batman related, go and watch Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's bloody yeah. brilliant. <laughs> well part two rounded up um i think we're pretty much just going to do a spoiler alert for part three because there's not much we can say about the dark knight riders without giving away stuff about the film so let's quickly <laughs> say that what we thought of it i mean 
Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll quickly spend about five minutes saying about what we thought of it without spoiling it. And then... Well, don't turn off yet. Yeah, don't, don't turn, turn off, off just yet. We'll tell you when to turn off. <laughs> okay, Batman The Dark Knight Rises, the final episode in the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, uh, starring Christian Bale as Batman and Tom Hardy as the main villain, Bane. We're going to talk about it briefly without spoilers and then just do a massive spoiler alert because there isn't really anything we can say about spoiling the film. Um, but we will tell you when to stop listening if you don't want the film spoiled for you. Um, that's not right now. What do we all think of the film without spoiling it for everyone then? It was brilliant. Yeah. Good final it, chapter. It was ec- I, I, I think it's my favourite of the three. I'm going to be the first negative, put the first negative in. At times, Bane's voice, uh, Bane played by Tom Hardy, is difficult to understand. Yep. I agree. I thought that a couple of times. Not all the time. Just the odd ex- phrase. I was yeah. expecting that, but I, I I, didn't have a problem with it at all. But I, d- I don't it, know. Because I'd, I'd heard terrible... Yeah, I'd heard terrible things, and I think they've touched it up, obviously. Um, but no, I, I honestly didn't have a problem with it. Um, but I do know... I have like seen on Twitter and stuff that people have been saying they still had a problem with it, but I I found it absolutely fine. It didn't ruin the film thing. There's just a few times where I thought I could have really done with like a subtitle or something there because I've kind of missed what he said. Uh, but yeah, what can we say about the plot without giving everything away? I suppose Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne, has been absent for eight years since the death of Harvey Dent, which he took the blame for in um, in the previous film. And but with with the well with Bane arriving in Gotham City, Batman realizes he has to make a return. Yeah, I think I'll that's tell you fair. what I will say. I think without wanting to spoil it, they they did signpost the end reasonably early, and they signposted a lot of the stuff. But they did enough to distract me, so it didn't really matter, and I forgot about it. And the end was, like, the later stages still had surprises in them. So even if you think you're figuring it out, they do enough to... to, to, There's so much tension and drama in it that you forget about it anyway because you're so focused on what's going on on the screen, you don't have the time to sit and think about what's going to come, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're right. There there are a number of classic um, showing a gun in the first act, making sure it's fired in the third act. There's, There's a number of bits like that. But like you say, I didn't really think about it until it had ended and I went, oh yeah, I remember them. Yeah, like you say, there's so much going on. You're not sat there thinking about these clues that are dropped in. No, it's not, it's not any really tricky twists or any ending. It's not inception. No, (laughs) but I mean, they're, they're quite obvious when you see them coming, but they're not. You know, but you don't really think about them because there's other stuff going on. Yeah, it's not. It's not. A, it's not a film that relies on the the twist as a plot device. No, no, no it's not like I've had to stop you dwelling on it. If, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And he tries to draw on a lot of different elements to the story, so it doesn't need to really rely on being very twisty, or you know, have a lot of twists in it and making you keep think what's happening next because it's, it it draws a lot of different characters together a lot of different stories yeah that's an excellent point actually I think the way that they like Nolan and the team manage so many stories and characters going on 
was absolutely consummate. I think that was yeah, that was pretty and, faultless the way they did yeah, all that. And managed. And I also I really think that that is a big big um, rebuttal to a lot of criticisms that there have been of Nolan's work, and I, and I will subscribe to that view to an extent. In the sense that um, that people have talked about his lack of humanity, he's quite a cold film filmmaker, uh, a lack of emotion and a lack of humanity, and th- this is his most human and emotional film to date by a long way, I think. And it yeah. does. It is. This focuses on characters rather than plot, which again is also quite unknown like considering his previous work. Yeah, we get we get a lot of Bruce. Yes, there's a lot of Bruce, and there's and there's a lot of people who aren't Bruce or Batman as well. That that's the other thing. There is a lot of none of Bruce or Batman in it, which is really interesting. But I really liked because they were very well drawn characters who were portrayed by, let's face it, some brilliant actors. That's the other great thing that he's done here is it's a it is a big blockbuster action film. Um, but he's filled his supporting cast with people who have got real acting talent. And it shows when you have got people like Michael Caine uh, and Gary Oldman, they, they can carry this kind of film. They they are absolutely brilliant in their roles in this. And it's great. And it's great to see um, a director casting really good actors for these bits not just going right it's an action film no one needs to clearly nolan goes right okay commissioner gordon i want someone who can portray the turmoil at the heart of commissioner gordon uh and oldman is fantastic in this yeah it's sort of it's a good mix isn't it of old and new or newish yeah british acting talent i think it kind of yeah Not that it's it's specifically meant to do that, I don't think, but it's it's a great film that just combines like Oldman and and um, Michael Caine with Tom Hardy with yeah. uh, you know Christian Bale even. Yeah, hey, he's still British. everyone young... claims he was British. He's not British. He... Yeah. Have you heard his voice? Uh, yeah. But uh, the other talent as well, because I, I do think. Um... Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is brilliant in this, yeah. uh, and Hathaway yes. is fantastic in this. Actually, my one my one disappointment, not disappointment in a sense, uh, and we'll go into this in spoiler, was um, Marion Cotillard, who I just thought um, she just didn't, didn't have, have much, to, much do. to do. Yeah, exactly, uh, and go. it was a shame because she go. is a really good actress, uh, but we didn't really get to see it. That was that was my my probably my one disappointment. But I think it was done in a way that. You know, you just feel it like the story was missing way, out yeah. from her not being there. Do you know what I mean? She she was yeah. used enough to keep the story moving along yes, as it needed yeah. to be. She, yeah, it felt to me that the one difference was she was more a narrative device, whereas the others felt like real life people. Yes. That 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 was how I felt. But yeah. I can't. I don't think I can say any more now. To be honest, I really liked it. Just for God's sake, go and watch it. So my favourite bit of Gary Oldman trivia. I expect you've all heard is it. it. About him being related to someone. His, his sister is Big Mo in EastEnders. That's it, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> I just, every time I hear that, I just think, that's just mad. He's a sort yeah, of massive okay. Hollywood actor, and, he, and, his, and his sister's just this big cockney mess on EastEnders. <laughs> that has blown my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. You'll be telling everyone you you see now, Jerry. 
Yeah, oh, in case people didn't catch my Dark Knight trivia on Twitter today, this I think this needs to be known by everyone. Uh, obviously, with it being the Dark Knight Rises, I had to watch the Dark Knight this morning on Blu-ray as well. That's what um, I did. Yeah, and I watched Begins earlier in the week. I think, as well, if you're going to watch this film, it's good to compare it to the other two. I mean, it's a lot of people think, oh, well, you need to see it as its own film. It really is part of a trilogy, and it really does yeah. feel like it draws a lot on the previous stuff and you couldn't go into this having not seen the previous ones, I don't think. But The Dark Knight, the sort of iconic scene where Heath Ledger's Joker walks out of the hospital and it blows up behind him, yeah, and he's just trudging along in that weird walk that he has um, and everything's blowing up and suddenly it stops and he turns around and looks a bit puzzled and like starts hitting the button again repeatedly. You know which you know which yeah. scene I'm talking about? Yeah. That was... He's that was yeah, it was. And he, it was improv- improv- he 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 goes himself, doesn't he? Just before yeah. it kicks off, kind of thing. Com- yeah, completely improvised that that last bit. Um, it was basically intended so that it would just blow up and blow up and blow up, and he would just carry on walking. In one seamless uh, take, he would just walk onto the back of the bus and drive off as it all blew up behind him. And the explosives didn't go off at one point; like it got to a certain point, and then just the explosives stopped going off. And without breaking character, he did it fantastically. Stops, looks puzzled. Uh, starts hitting the button in a sort of manic way. I mean, it, the mannerism that he uses when he's doing that, he to try and yeah. do it, is it's really brilliant. And they just kept the cameras rolling and did it, and then it blew up. And I think that became one of the sort of iconic shots, that sort of rolling camera back and then the stop, as, as, and you just see him being puzzled by why his, his mad scheme isn't working. That was improvisation. So big credit to the filmmakers. And also, the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises use loads of handheld IMAX cameras, which, if you didn't know, is fucking amazing. They yeah. they do handheld IMAX stuff. I mean, it's just if you if you don't know about IMAX film, it's basically twice the size of normal film, and the the drums that hold the film for the cameras are enormous. So just to just to do that, be aware of how technologically impressive this, these films are. I mean, Nolan is a really great filmmaker in that regard. Well, uh, before we go on and spoil the film uh, for everybody and tell, uh, give our thoughts on the whole film as a whole, James, would you like to tell everybody what's happening next week and the week after and tell everyone where to find the, the website and everything? Yeah, yeah. And then if you yeah. haven't seen the film, or you, um, then don't listen past that point, really. Yeah, but yes. Um, Next week, we're having our first week off. Uh, I'm away. Owen's away. Uh, I've earned it. Yeah, (laughs) we're going to stick our feet up. All this money we're making off this podcast, we're off to to the Gold Coast for a couple of weeks. Um, Uh, I'm Barbados myself. um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, We couldn't even get to Bognor, could we? Also, there's very little out, basically, because no one wants to go up against... Uh, the Dark Knight Rises so we'll actually be back should be being released on the next one should be released on about the 7th of August I think uh, and that in that one we'll be reviewing the Seth MacFarlane film Ted starring Mark Wahlberg and Seth MacFarlane uh, as a teddy bear that's come to life the trailer looks terrible but I keep hearing really really good reviews of it so I'm, I'm interested to see what happens mm. I mean, there about, apparently about, the trailer is not representative mm. at all I yeah mean, that's about, about a film yeah. like about a film like that judging by Family Guy American Dad etc and the humour that Seth MacFarlane yeah. does how much of that can you really put in the trailer that's got to go out and tip on TV 
That's true. Mm. That's true. Although in the trailer I saw, he is uh, there's the Thunder song where they're singing "Fuck You Thunder." So I have uh, that's the trailer I've seen, and that that embarrassed me. But anyway, um, yeah, we'll we'll see what ha- um we'll see what happens with Ted. It'll be interesting. Uh, anyway, and then our triple bill in honor of the London 2012 Olympics, we'll be choosing our favorite sports films, and as Steve's already mentioned, I think Mighty Ducks make might just make an appearance there. Quite frankly, if Mighty Ducks, at least one of the films, aren't in everybody's list, then I'm quitting. <laughs> in in fact, I don't, want... Don't tempt me, Steve. I want, a, I want a, a five bit of top... I can't narrow it down to three. I'm stuck already. <laughs> I mean, how could I, how could I drop Escape to Victory for Cool Runnings? I, I can't. It's, uh, yeah. I <laughs> drop a Mighty Ducks. And you've, you've, got, you've, got two, you've got two weeks to be in turmoil yeah. now as well, Steve. Mm. You can imagine Steve's conflict for the next two weeks looking at those <laughs> those seven films that he has on his DVD shelf. <laughs> Steve, if, George, if Mike Bassett, like, England manager, makes yep. another appearance. <laughs> I don't think... Oh, it might. You never know. Anyway, where's, where's the website, James? Uh, yes, you can find all our articles. We've got our, our Holy Bat Week up at the moment. There's some good articles on there. Jerry's written a great article about the comic book origins of a lot of the Nolan Dark Knight stuff going on at the moment. I've written an article about how awesome Adam West is. And uh, that's all available on feldcritics.com. Uh, you can find us at Facebook on facebook.com slash feldcritic or contact us on Twitter at, at feldcritics. Right. Don't say we didn't warn you. Now we're going full on spoiler mode, so tough luck if we ruin the film for you now. It's your own fault for listening on. Who wants to kick off then? Um, um oh, yeah, you go, Jerry. You go. Okay. Um one, I mean the length was quite prohibitive, I thought, but I think they managed to fill it very well with enough twists and turns and enough characters. And referring back to my point about Batman Returns with Selina Kyle, this was, you know, the sort of typical Catwoman portrayal. And I'm I'm going to admit, I don't like Anne Hathaway in any film I've ever seen her in. Uh, but she was superb in this. I mean, I, I really don't like her and she really convinced me, which is the best, the best praise I can give her is that she was really, really good as Catwoman. And I think that storyline was used really well and really sparingly. Yeah. Yeah, she 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 was almost comic relief, wasn't she? Um, not in the fact that she was camp and funny, but she had some really good lines, and it had that you got that sense of a, a relationship between the two, where uh, Bruce Wayne is up against his match, at least verbally, kind of thing, which was great. Yeah, oh, she's intelligent fact, as no one... Catwoman, which you don't yeah. get in, in sort of like the fucking Halle Berry version, and yeah, and as well in the Batman Returns version, she doesn't come across as intelligent. Whereas no, this is a this is a strong, independent woman type thing. The other great thing is no one ever refers to her as Catwoman throughout the entire thing, uh, which I liked. Uh, there it was because they didn't have to go into the whole. Um, like throwing cats at people, like in the '66 movie, <laughs> or the the origin story of Michelle Pfeiffer being woken up with the cat licker. They didn't actually have to. They just went, "Well, she's a cat burglar." Job done, kind of thing. And I really liked that actually, because when I heard that there was going to be a Catwoman in a Nolan film, I thought, "Well, how does that work? How does that fit in?" Because that's quite an unrealistic, you know, because Nolan's Batman is set in a realistic world and Catwoman felt weird. Uh, you know, the Joker, you can, that that's, although it's 
bizarre. There, there's, you know, it's it's very, very much grounded in realism. Um, He's not going. He I'm hasn't just, gone for comic book, but I know that sort of Batman comics aren't, you know, like a, a amusing, funny kind of. But he hasn't gone for real sort of comic book outlandish kind of characters he's he's gone for characters which can have grounding in reality where you although you're watching a big bombastic hollywood action film um there you know she's a cat burglar that's all she's got nothing to do with felines so that's that's good it's believable same with um uh jonathan crane scarecrow in batman begins and and I'm going to say Ra's al Ghul because I only know it from the Nolan films. Mm. Um, we'll come, we'll come yeah. back to Jonathan Crane and Scarecrow later well, yes, because there's a, yeah. there's a there's a plot hole that annoyed me a bit. But I mean, okay, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with Steve here. I picked up on that one as well. Oh, oh that'll be interesting actually because I'm more the sentimental type, and I was like, oh, it's good to see him back. Yeah, um, I'm but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the little cameos in it. <laughs> that, that whole bit actually. There was, um, it felt like a thank you to the fans. And I'm, I am actually one of those people in favour of the fact that Liam Neeson came back for a bit. That, I loved yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I did love seeing, cause I, having heard, um, Killian Murphy interviewed on the Commode and Mayo podcast and hearing them badger him about whether or not he was in the new Batman film and him kind of like, stony silence i was like i think he is going to be in this and i'd be interested how to you know to see it um and i quite like that but what was your issue that because i i still see no issue at the because, moment so because i'm, I'm assuming that at the end of uh batman begins scarecrow or jonathan crane yeah. was put into arkham asylum yeah so how come he's out because the prison he's, that he turns the up at the start of the dark night. night yeah he's in the dark night he's he's doing he's doing, he's a, drug doing a drug deal um Right near the beginning of Dark Knight, and he gets he gets captured by Batman and gets arrested again. Mm. But so clearly, I'm, I'm assume, he's in and out. Because mm, I'm assuming that he would have been into Arkham Asylum and not what is it, Blackgate Prison that Bane, yeah, that, yeah. that Bane sort of lets the prisoners out from. So I'm thinking Bane's that, that was my plot hole was mm, that he would Bane, be in Arkham and yeah. Bane never. Bane, Bane never opens Arkham. Bane's never going to open Arkham because he's going to open up the likes of the Joker and all these other people who would probably yeah, cause exactly. him a lot of issues. So how is well, you know, it's, John... it's, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it's, it's been eight, it's been eight years. It didn't, it's been eight years since the dark. You know, Arkham's supposed to reform the, the patients, you know, perhaps it yeah. just once they deemed him sane enough, moved him to a regular prison. It didn't, so, it didn't you know, ruin the, it's explainable. It, it didn't ruin the film for me by any means. I was just sort of thinking, well, how, yeah. that doesn't yeah. really make much sense. Even though he was really good and I liked his sort of, his role in it, even though it was a small cameo, I did like yeah. his role and it was quite good, but I just thought, yeah. It doesn't really make much uh-huh. sense why he's That's there. That's interesting because I'm with Owen here. I was just really happy to see him there, and I didn't really care how he got there. But <laughs> I not I've, think I've, as well why is he suddenly in control and being crane all the time, and not even tempted to be scarecrow in this utter yeah. chaos that made well, him. He, he was wearing I, his sort of costume. He just wasn't wearing the mask, was it? Yeah, and I think he. My my feeling from it was obviously he's very clever. He used to manipulate people because Bane had. Bane's whole thing was he was giving the city back to the people. I could quite easily see someone like Jonathan Crane um, quickly becoming a figure of authority in all of that chaos because he can he can talk to people, he can talk around people, and probably because he's helped out a lot of criminals over the years, get them out, get them off um, 
get them out of prison and stuff like that, he probably still had some respect from a lot of the mid-level heavies and things like that. And that, I never actually thought about this during the film. I'm thinking about it now, to be honest. Um, one, but yeah. one thing, I was going to say, one thing that kind of annoyed me about his character, and it's not really his fault, but when he, you know, he's saying, he's trying to give judgment to, get, um, to Gordon. Yeah. And he says, uh, you know, death or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, death or exile. yeah. And he says, well, death. <laughs> death by exile. It just reminded me of uh, League of Gentlemen. League of Gentlemen, death, death by, by Mau Mau. That was <laughs> exactly... <laughs> just made me chuckle. I couldn't get it in my head, though. Yeah, I, that was the first thing I thought of was death by Mau Mau. <laughs> See, I thought of the Futurama death by Snusu thing. Oh, yeah. 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 Which yeah. is what came in my head. Uh, like, uh, so it's a, it's a standard classic joke kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it was a bit funnier than I think it was meant to be. Yeah. Right, on, I'll, I'll go on to a different tack here because otherwise we'll be getting bogged down in Steve's beloved plot holes. Um, I think really one of the main things I came out with thinking was just the skill as writers of the, you know, Nolan and the whole team, really. Wasn't it? His, yeah. was, didn't just, he co-write this co-write yeah. it with his brother? And David S. Coyer as and well, David, who yeah. I think is a big influence on this, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been involved in all the films, but I think just a real testament to them that, like, even though, I, you know, as a bit of a Batman geek, I already, I could figure out that straight away that Marion Cotillard was Taylor, Talia al Ghul, right? And, oh, I, I see, mean, I didn't, I didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> well, I, I could just, you could just tell, and I had a feeling that she would be in this movie somehow, and I had a feeling that he would, that Roz would be involved somehow. Yeah. But the way that they did the explanation at the end with Bane and her being linked, I did not see that coming. I genuinely did not see yeah. her being that child. No, which, no, I didn't. which is real credit to them because I could, even though I knew that she would, she was in there somewhere, and I knew that she was going to have some yeah. kind of dramatic twist. That was not what I saw at all. And the the relationship with Bane is non-existent in the comics. I mean, that is right. So well, the originality of that. Sorry. They they do kind of have a relationship in the comics because you. Raish went, I'm just, I'm going to be very brief, I promise. Basically, (laughs) Raish tries to get Bruce to um, marry his daughter. Yeah. He refuses, eventually he chooses Bane as his his successor instead, and Talia spurs him, she doesn't want him. But they do kind of have a comic book relationship. I mean, the sort of childhood origin story isn't there. Yeah, no, it's not. It's it's original and it's, like you said, just really well done. It was beautifully written, actually. And it gave gave Bane some humanity. Um, And I think, as well, while we're on that subject, that end scene where Hardy manages to be so expressive behind that mask. Yeah. Especially on the close-up. I mean, he's fantastically expressive in that scene. Yeah. Uh, Hardy does brilliantly in this film, considering the obstacles in the way of a tradi- from traditional acting, the fact that he is talking through a, a mask and a voice changer, um, and you and, can literally and only see his arms. All his speech will have been added in afterwards, I think, as well, because he won't yeah. have been speaking like that at the no, time. So obviously no, he's trying it, to the, fit to what he's said as well. Yeah, and I did really love his his plummy English accent. Actually, I, I really liked that. It it was fun. I want to go around talking. I even hearing it in the trailer, I was like, I um, I I wanted to copy that. If I had been a child watching this, I'd I'd love Bane's voice, and I'd be copying it all the time. Um, it was fantastic. He had some great lines. 
But I think he does a really good job, like I say, considering the obstacles in the way of a, no a normal actor will use the whole of their face and he literally had to use his eyes in that last scene and, and he did it brilliantly. Yeah, there was some, I mean, to get the geek stuff out of the way, there was some good references as references to all sorts of stuff. I mean, mm. there was there was long Halloween references again. If you've read my article, you'll know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. They, yep. as I said, I spoke about this before we watched it as well. There was a, there was a Nightfall reference with the breaking the back thing, mm. but it wasn't quite as severe as as Nightfall, and they didn't take it in the direction of someone taking over from Batman then, mm. which was interesting because that was why I thought, oh well, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's going to take over this. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I expected it to become a sort of battle for the cowl again, but. Mm -hmm. um, it was it was interesting that they chose that direction, and also I think on that topic, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Surely they've left that open for him to take over in the next. Well, they, yes. The interesting thing I thought was because obviously with these comic book films, we've seen quite a few this year. Mm -hmm. I don't read the comic books, so what I'll occasionally do is go and go onto Wikipedia and look through the character yeah. history, so I know what's going on. And obviously, I know about Dick Grayson and Jason Todd, who are both Robin, and then become Batman at some point or whatever. But this jo um, this John Blake character was a new character. It wasn't from the comic books, was he? No, he's, he's a complete he's a, original creation. But, but he, again, it's a testament to the writers. But then yeah. they drop in at the end that his real name's Robin. And then, bat and then, Which, and then yeah. um, Bruce Wayne's giving him coordinates to get to the Batcave. Yeah, I, I think that, and again, I think that Robin thing was just mm. a little nod to the fans. Yeah, because I, I think, yeah. I, I which think, was nice. I think it was a nice. I think Nolan's been adamant that. throughout the trilogy that he was never going to pick a, a Robin like a proper sidekick. Yeah, he always said I it think... would. It would be too camp. It would. It would. It would take away from the dark <clears throat> direction he was taking. I don't. It. I don't think that's necessarily. True. Well, I mean, it's his own opinion. Oh, so what, no, what he I says goes. But no, I mean, I, I, I think from, from yeah. a perspective of, of a filmmaker as well, he he is really sort of true to the comic book influences and goes for realism. And mm. he would have to get a child actor in, yeah, to mm. do Robin because he would have a child Robin like it is in the, yeah. you know, like it should be. He would yeah. have fucking Chris O'Donnell. He's like a twenty-eight-year-old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think really that would have created so many problems trying to get an accurate, yeah. realistic child, and it's quite gritty. I think that would have just been too problematic for him. I think that's, I mean, that's it, probably the main reason. It, it, do, yeah. it does obviously leave it open, but the next film won't be directed by Nolan, mm. and or no. well, from what he says anyway, and it won't. I, and and it, I believe him. And it, and it yeah, won't. And it, and it won't feature um, Christian Bale. Um, yeah. If you believe what who Christian Bale who says, won't do it, Nolan so, won't, so it depends yeah. if they go for a full-on reboot like they've done with Spider-Man. And just leave it a few years, which is going to be incredibly hard for anyone to even get near to mm. to, to what Christopher Nolan's done. Or they're going to carry on with Gordon Levitt as Batman, um, but with a different director and sort of carry on the series that way. And then it's always open for Christian Bell to come back as Bruce Wayne if he ever wanted to, for whatever reason. Do you know what the ideal would be? For them to just leave it as it is. Because the way it ended was just such a. Like I said at the start, it's just a, a great final chapter. Yeah. The way that it, you know, Bruce Wayne has descended, you know, John Blake, or Robin John Blake, whatever his name is, ascends, and you kind of think, that's it, that's the closing point, you don't need anymore. I mean, it, the story it, is. it was quite apparent early on in the film that somebody would be taking up the Batman mantle because Bruce Wayne or Batman kept saying, Batman's not about one person, it's a symbol. 
Yeah. He said it yeah. to her three times throughout the film that he was implying that anyone can be Batman. I mean, no, anyone with the amount of money that you've got can be Batman. But it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the one thing that, that, that did annoy me about, his, about Nolan's Bruce Wayne character is the way he was just so happy to just keep up everything. I think mm, that's not really what Bruce Wayne's about. It's, for, for Bruce Wayne, the character, being Batman, it isn't something he chooses to do. It's not like it's just an obsession and he'll eventually get over it. It is basically Bruce Wayne's the character Batman pretends to be. And um, they kind of got it the other way around in the films for me. He was Bruce Wayne who really wanted to be Batman, but at the end of the day, he could just hand that all over to somebody else and go, you know, live in France and have a wife and kids. And I thought, that's not, that wasn't, satisfying enough for me but but you know i say that the way that the film ended with joseph gordon levitt's character as i said ascending mm. into the back cave that was that was a nice ending that that's yeah i mean if, if yeah. they if they offered him the role as batman in another film i mean i know he's a, he's a good actor and i think james rates him quite highly but i, I like him a but lot, i yeah. mean i don't think he's enough of a star actor to be able to sort of turn down like, yeah i mean i thought he I wasn't expecting him to be as important in this one as he was, actually. Uh, yeah, I mean, he seems to be getting increasingly popular, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's he's in a lot of films. I think more and more he's 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 getting bigger roles, and he obviously was in Inception with Nolan and impressed him. So it wouldn't surprise me if he got Batman, to be honest, but yeah. he needs to put a bit of weight on to do it, I think. Apparently, um, Warner Brothers have started. Uh, they've got someone to write a Justice League script doesn't mean it's actually going to happen but they they've hired um they, they've hired someone to write yeah, justice that must, that must be a long way seen yeah the avengers do well they've obviously well, seen his name's will beale will beale i'm just gonna have a quick look see what, what else he's I mean, done they've, they've obviously seen avengers assemble and thought well that worked but it's a it's, yeah. a it's a lot it's a long way off obviously because if bale's not playing batman then they've got a at least have a, a, another Batman film with a new Batman, and then they've got to have another film like like um, the Avengers did. They've got to have another film for each of the Justice Leagues. They're going to have to have one with mm. going to have a new Superman, which is apparently coming anyway. Um, yeah. going to have to, I can't even remember who's in the Justice League. Batman, Superman, Green something, Arrow. <laughs> Green Lantern, Flash. Flash, Wonder Woman, and Marshall Aquaman. Is an Aquaman in it? Aquaman, yeah. yeah. No, you've you've now you've lost me after Batman and Superman. I'll be honest. I, I know <laughs> of Wonder Woman, but the Flash is really fast. Um, is that not like Flash Gordon then? No, no. really showing not off really. my ignorance now. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Flash is really fast. The Green Arrow is is has got an arrow. I don't know about it. There's, there's a lot of green ones. There's yeah. Green Lantern and uh, the other green one as well, isn't there? Green yeah, Goblin green lanterns, is his Green Depends, There's quite a few Green Lanterns as well. Uh, yeah. The trouble with Justice Alvin? League is I think you're getting into with all the sort of the the multiple universes, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I think I think it's quite neat as it is that Superman and Batman are separate in film. Aquaman <clears> can <throat> talk to fish. Yeah. <laughs> Aquaman's like the guy who's a bit useless, but you know. Oh, I really there. like Aquaman. He's one of the best members of the Justice League, and he's never been used properly in 
they take the don't they take the mick out of him in South Park where they have the super best friends and they have Sea Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The new Justice League comic is quite good. It integrates him quite well and it plays up on the whole he knows he's you know, people it's got the media treating him as this bit of a laughing stock. What other powers? I'm going to stop it again. I'm yeah, let's get back on the Batman and not a man who yeah. can talk to fish. I'd, yeah, there's a there's a few scenes I actually want to talk about because I thought they they oh, were. Bef- I've got three favourite scenes. Before we go here. on to that quickly, a lot of the criticism online as that I've read so far has come from the fact that uh, Bane sort of wanted to destroy the people of Gotham and then give them hope and everything, but then just blow it all up anyway, regardless of what happened. He had that bomb that was going to go off. Yeah, and some people are sort of criticize. Why was he? Why was he sort of destroying the people of Gotham and giving them hope and all this stuff if he was just going to blow them up anyway? Well, that comes back to the prison. He he, he says exactly why, doesn't he? Because it's the prison that he sticks Batman in. Uh, well, yeah, Batman, Bruce Wayne, whatever. Um, he said, you know, the fact that it's got that bit that you you think you can climb out of. It, it, it's the whole the it's the hope that kills you type thing. So. He yeah he he wants to uh, raise Gotham to the ground to carry out the uh, the League of Shadows mission from you know Batman Begins basically, but he he wants to do it cruelly by giving Gotham hope and going through the whole he's giving it back to the people. He was always going to destroy it, but he's messing with that. That the way I read it was he's messing with the people of Gotham by doing that. I don't know if anyone else read it differently. Yeah, and it's also symbolised with the. Um the original fight with Batman in the sewers, you know, it's mm. uh, all about, he wants to break him psychologically and physically. So he has to do both. And it's sort of ties into, um, the whole point of him, you know, he wants to break Gotham mentally and then blow it up. It's not, it's not, ju- it has to be more than just planting a bomb and blowing it up. Like it, in fact, talking about the bomb, the one thing that I did notice from it, and we were talking about the original Batman film earlier, with the bomb, I think that's a very good subtle reference they put yeah. in there. You know, that's with the auto, point, you know, Jerry's point about um, nobody manning the helicopter. When, yeah, the, you know, the they, yeah, Exactly, yeah, you know, they talk about the autopilot, and so, you know, I think that's kind of like a subtle reference to the original film, which, which is quite nice. A lot yes. of people seem to have picked up on it. And I, was, I was quite. I glad. think you're giving. I think you're giving the original Batman too much credit there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there, uh, in fact, there were two scenes that really, really stuck with me because I don't want to count the ending as a scene. I thought the ending was fantastic. That stuck with me. But well, the, um, really early on, the airplane hijack um, was just <laughs> fantastically shot, um, and the fact that, as far as I'm aware, that was pretty much done as well they it wasn't just like all cgi they mm. literally stripped a plane in the air kind of thing which is awesome um and it's a brilliant scene and also the other one that really stuck with me and it was beautifully shot the beautiful Hans zimmer um kind of background music and then the bit where the kid is singing star spangled banner at the beginning of the football game and just the build-up to that it was it was just Filmmaking at its absolute finest. It was beautifully acted. Apparently, all those shot. Apparently, all those American football players are actually NFL players from. Yeah, yeah, the guy carrying the balls, Ladainian Thompson. Yeah, mm. Mm. Um, which is brilliant. And and I, my only issue was I knew I'd, I'd seen it in the trailer. That was a real. Sh- I'd love to have seen yeah. that. 
like fresh, that would have been amazing. Uh, but sadly, we can't do that these days. Well, we best start rounding off this podcast now. Yes. Um, quickly, one scene that annoyed me was they they teed it up quite early on with Alfred saying, "Have this little fantasy where." You give up being mm. Batman, and I go to this little place on my holiday, and I see you. And then they did that at the end. I thought that was just too easy, and I just thought it was. I, I didn't like it. I that thought it was a bit cheesy. I thought it was a bit cheesy. Steve, I cried. All right. <laughs> yeah, I, you I, cried I, 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 thought, I genuinely had tears. I, in my I, I knew it was going to happen, mm. and I still cried. I thought it was a it bit was cheesy. Beautiful. The strange thing was, I thought it was a bit cheesy, and I didn't like it. But then in Spider Man, when he saved that guy's kid from the, the car on the bridge. And then that guy had all the cranes that spun yeah. round to help Spider-Man get to the that building. I, li- I like, I like, I like that, but I didn't like this bit in Batman, so I don't know why. I, th- yes. I thought it was great. Well, it, a because I love Michael Caine anyway, and I, I thought it. I was a bit disappointed that halfway through the film he he just disappeared until the end. I was a bit. I, I could see why he had to. Mm, I, I think he had to disappear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I see why story-wise he had to. I was just a bit disappointed because I do like their dynamic, and a lot of the humour of the film mm. comes from their dynamic. I, I just... And once you remove that, it was it was a bit of a shame. But we did get a lot more Gary Oldman than we used to get than we got yeah. in the first two films, probably put together, and that was great because Commissioner Gordon was brilliant in this. So, just do two quick questions for you three before we finish up. Okay. Where where do you see Batman going from here? As a as a film franchise or a, a series of films, I suspect I... they will try and get Joseph Gordon-Levitt to carry on. That's my the impression yeah. I got. But but um, what, directed by somebody else. Yeah. 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 What I'd want to happen is them just to leave it alone for a good ten fifteen years. Exactly. Yeah. Don't yeah, don't touch great. it unless you've got an amazing story. Um, exactly. And and it it's just a it's just cursed. You can't you can't top this. It, for the next 10, 15 years, no one's going to get near the Nolan trilogy, so don't bother. Simple. Yeah, I, I'm with James. I think they should leave it alone and wait, you know, 15, 20 years maybe. And then a brand do a new director, a brand new actor, yeah. someone Bring with a different vision. It needs to be someone with a very unique vision. That's Because Nolan's done the first proper Batman films. The rest of them have had massive flaws. Yeah, there is scope to make it more sci-fi, you know. There is stuff about, you know, Batman and Superman could share the same world even. You know, a Justice League film might perhaps, you know, use the Justice League film as a platform to build a new type of Batman film from where, you know, he's conversing with gods and, you know, Martians and galactic police, all that kind of thing. But this series now, I think those three films, they should just cut that. And leave it as it is. Forget about having to get Jason Joseph Gordon Levitt back because he's really good in his role. Forget it. He did the role and he did it well. Yeah. There's no yeah. need to bring he, him he back just play, to play Batman. He, he didn't play Batman. He played um, Blake. So yeah, but I totally agree. He was really good. I, yeah. And there's, no, there's no need to do another Batman film just because. Oh, he was quite good in that. Let's get him back to finish. Yeah. Yeah, you but know. just just to put my cynical hat back on, I, I do have a, a strong suspicion that they will try they and do that will. sooner yeah. rather than later because <laughs> this is a massive money maker for them as well. I mean, let's not forget this is probably going to be one of the biggest films of all time. Yeah. Uh, judging even just judging by how busy the cinema was today in the middle of the afternoon, oh, this yeah. is gonna this is gonna be breaking records. It's gonna be enormous, and and as a you know as a studio, why the hell would you not try and keep that going mm. while there is momentum? I would prefer to have 10, 15 years, as you say, but I 
have a horrible feeling they'll try and carry it on in some way. And finally, um, obviously Batman, the comic books, and the other films have had loads of different villains. Which villain would you have liked to see written by the you know the guys who wrote this trilogy and directed by Nolan that wasn't in any of the films? Oh, I would have loved to see Hugo Strange. I think Nolan would have done a really good job of Hugo Strange. But, eh, I don't know. And also, I like Black Mask, but I don't think mm. he would have fit in any of these films either. I'd have liked I, don't, this... I don't really know any, I'd have... apart from the, the, like, the Riddler. I would have liked to see the Riddler. I just thought, with the way they were going with the films, they could have done something really good with you know a villain who essentially these riddles to solve clues to what he's up to. Can you remember the rumour that Eddie Murphy was going to play the Riddler in this film? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I think that on, on um, Jerry actually, I think uh, Hugo Strange could have been done really well with um, uh, with Nolan in charge. The only, the only problem with using Hugo Strange, who, if you don't know, he's the psychologist, the professor, whatever it is, at um, Arkham Asylum. So he's Right, okay, yeah. Yeah. The problem with doing that is you have to then establish a lot of the inmates to use Hugo Strange quite well. Yeah, yeah, and also he he's another character who figures out who Batman is. And I think yeah. if you've got Bane figuring out who Batman is, you don't really need another yeah. one. Well, that's it for a fortnight then. Hopefully you've enjoyed this Batman special. Um, we'll be back like I said, in a fortnight, reviewing Ted and doing a, a triple bill of our favourite sports films. and So all that's left to say is, is see you later. Good night. Yeah. Cheerio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.